If we're going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 3, we'll bounce around a little bit, but we'll be, we'll be in that third or that portion of Scripture in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, and this particular message, it's kind of a strange one in, in a sense, but it's an extremely important one in another sense. Okay? Uh, I call it the divine setup. Uh, you know, how, how many of, of you in here have ever been set up? Let me see your hand. Come on. Be, You've been set up. Okay. Great. Yeah. I don't know how divine it was. But this is a divine setup, and I think you'll see it as we read together Exodus chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 1. Now, Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Who is Jethro? Father-in-law. Moses' father-in-law. We'll get to him in a while. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord, stop right there. Every time you see in Scripture the reference to the angel, not an angel, but the angel of the Lord, all theologians will tell you it is a reference to Jesus Christ before he was ever born. Are we, are we together? Have, have you heard that before? Or am I the first one that told you that? Okay? So what we're seeing here is the angel of the Lord, or Jesus, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he, Moses, looked. Behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Okay? So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to look. Careful. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he, God, said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He, God, also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, and this is important. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So, I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and the Termite. I, I, I'm sorry, these are brand new glasses. I'm still, I'm, forget the Termite. All right. All right, okay, let's go on. Now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the, op- uh, you need to hear this. You need to, you need to s- listen to what God is saying. I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he, God, said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who sent you, when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. 
divine setup. Let me bring you up to date with Moses so that you see where he's coming from and where he is, how he fits into this scripture. Moses. Moses should not be alive. Did you know that? Moses was a Jew. And when Jewish babies were being born, when he was being born, Pharaoh said to all the midwives, when you see that baby born, if it's a boy, you kill it. Am I okay? Moses should not be alive. But mommy, mom and dad were both Levites, so they were both part of the priestly tribe. When mom saw how beautiful this baby was, she decided, you know what? This isn't going to be, I'm not going to kill this boy. I don't care if Pharaoh is afraid of men, of Jews. So she built herself a little wicker basket. She tarred and feathered it, made it nice and comfortable. And she put this little baby in that basket, and she put him in the Nile River. That took guts. I don't care how you look at it. You got this little brand new baby, maybe a couple of weeks old at most, and you shove him in the water like that. The scripture tells us that Pharaoh's daughter would come down to the Nile to bathe, and she'd bring her, her uh, lady uh, servants with her. And she saw the basket, and she said, go get that basket, I want to see So her servants went and got the basket. She opened up the basket, and she looked at it, and she said, it's a Jewish boy. I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer the question. I want you to take the question with you and think about it. How did she know it was a Jewish boy? Don't answer. I want you to start thinking. I want you to start thinking. Because Moses, I won't get to this, but Moses will get to this point later on when he has a fight with God. So just, okay. He's a Jewish boy. The sister, Miriam is watching all this little deal. And what does she do? She offers help to Pharaoh's daughter. And she says to Pharaoh's daughter, you know, I see the baby, and I see that you like the baby, but uh, would you like me to get one of the Jewish mommies to take the baby for you and feed it and take care of it and wean it? And just and then and Pharaoh's daughter says, you know, that's a good idea. And she says, I'll take care of it. I'll pay the wages the whole bit. So Miriam... Moses' sister saves him, brings him back to mama, where mama can raise him and take care of him until she has to give him back to Pharaoh's daughter. I need you to note this, and I did not know it. Sometimes you read, and you read it, and all of a sudden something jumps out at you. It was Pharaoh's daughter who named Moses, not his mother. And the name Moses means, I drew him out. Over the water. So it means check your Bible. I mean, I've read that story how many times, and it just caught. I just caught it just a couple of weeks ago as I was going through this. I took him out of the water. Now we know what happened. Mommy, real mommy, takes care of him. She takes the feeding, takes all that good stuff. She kind of wins him. Then, of course, she has to give him up. So he grows up as an Egyptian in the house of mommy, who now is a daughter of Pharaoh, but Pharaoh is his step-granddaddy. So he's growing up in an Egyptian culture. 
And in the process of his growing up in Egyptian culture, when he's 40 years of of age, he sees an Egyptian beating up on a Jewish brother, somebody in the Jewish community. He doesn't like it. So what does Joseph do, this Jewish boy who is mostly Egyptian growing up? He kills the Egyptian soldier that's that's beating up on that Jew. And then he becomes frightened. Because the next day he sees two of his Jewish brothers fighting. And he stops them and says, what are you doing? Why are you fighting with each other? And one of them said, oh, you're going you're to kill us now like you killed the Egyptian? And instantly he thought, they all, they all know about it. And he takes off at 40 years of age and he leaves Egypt. This is where we are. He leaves Egypt, runs away, meets a very lovely lady at the well, Midianite gal. Her name is Zipporah. They get married. They have a son whose name is Gershom. And for 40 years, Moses is a shepherd to his father-in-law's flock. His father-in-law, in in case you didn't read it in the Bible, you better check your Bible, especially my Bible, because it's the Italian-American standard. His father-in-law was Leroy Jethro Gibbs. (laughs) Read it. Why are you looking at me like that? Read your Bible. All right. Now, so now we know the background of where we are. Now Moses is 80 years of age. 40 years has gone by. He's now 80 years of age. He's shepherding. And as we said, go back to the scriptures. Thank you, dear. As we said in the scriptures, he sees this bush burning. Now, if you've, I know you live in the desert, but if you've been to some of the desert areas that are really extremely hot, they have bramble bushes, and it's not uncommon because of the combustion that that thing will just snap and burn and burn out. But he sees this bush. He says, something's wrong. The bush is burning but it's not burning up, verse 3. I must turn aside the angel of the Lord. That's okay. Go back. You, you, you did well. Go back. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, is appearing to him from that bush. And he looked. The bush was burning with fire, but it wasn't being consumed. So verse 3 says, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burning up. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to turn aside from what I'm doing. Careful. I'm going to stop what I'm doing, which is normal. I'm going to check out something that isn't normal. May I suggest to you that you need to be careful what you turn aside for? See, the angel of the Lord was in the bush, verse 2. But God, in verse 4, sees him turning. The Lord saw that he turned aside to look and God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Well, God sees Moses turning to look. It's a setup. It's a setup. God calls it by name. Jason, how would you feel if you're walking along and you see a bush burning? And suddenly somebody called your name, hey, Jason, hey, Jason, from a bush. Oh, he's going to feel great, isn't he? He's going to run like you can't believe he's going to run. 
Not Moses. Moses saw something, did not understand it, had to try to figure it out, and God saw him turn aside to look. Because God was setting himself, God was setting up Moses to do something that only Moses could do for God. Watch it, Jason. And the rest of us. Because when we see something abnormal, and we start to look, and we start to investigate, and we sense a calling, his name was called. (laughs) How would you feel? Moses responds. He says, here I am, dude. It's me. I hear you calling my name. What is it you want? What can I do for you? Anything? Just, just, I'm here. So, the first thing that happens is that God gives him direction. Don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you stand is holy ground. Remove your sandals. Now, there's reality going on here that we don't understand in, this, in the society we live, okay? But if I'm the owner of a vast plantation, and you work for me, Gary, I'm the one that wears shoes, you don't. You're a slave. You have to respect and submit to me, and part of your submission is the way you look. And one of the things that slaves did normally not have were shoes. And so when God sees him turn aside and God begins to deal with him, he says, remove your sandals because right now you're standing on holy ground. What are you talking about? I'm standing nothing on a bunch of sand. Really? My question to all of us, New Hope, are we willing to submit to God? The ground is holy not because of the sand. The ground is holy because of the presence of God. And when Moses stopped to turn aside to look, he was now focusing on the presence of God and not a bush and not sand. And everything had to change in his life. Because now God is going to deal with him and share with him what it is God is looking for in his life. Let me tell you something. God loves every one of us in this room. And God has something for every one of us to do. And he's got to get our attention. I don't know if you need a burning bush. I don't think we need burning bushes. But I think we need to open up our hearts. The ground was holy because of the presence of God. And let me tell you something. People will see the presence of God in our lives. I have a question. Serious question. Is new hope holy ground? Is new hope the presence of the Lord? Not Rudy Greco, not you. Is new hope the church? A place where people can sense the presence of a holy God. Can we dedicate everything that God asks us to do, whatever that may be, can we dedicate ourselves to the Lord and say, you are holy, we are standing on holy ground, we will dedicate not only ourselves, but everything you give us, we'll dedicate it to you, because you are the holy God, and you speak to us out of that bush.
that's burning with fire. <clears throat> this particular reference, and this may surprise you, and I'll let you do your own research, I did. This is the first place in Scripture that the word holy is used in reference to God or anything. This Scripture. <clears throat> the second one is in Leviticus chapter 11, excuse me, <clears throat> verse 44, and I'll read that to you. For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. That's the second reference to God is holy. The next one is uh, uh, chapter 19, verse 2. Speak to all the congregations of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. Guess who wrote that? Who wrote that? Moses. Oh, wait a minute. Moses is struggling with God in chapter 3 of Exodus, but now we're in Leviticus. Now, this is past when Moses gets all the kids out of Egypt, and now Moses is their shepherd, and now Moses is writing things to them, and one of the things he's writing is something he experienced personally when God spoke to him out of the bush and said, watch where you're standing, you're on holy ground. I'm a holy God, you better be a holy people. He is not talking about being holier than thou. I don't like people who are holier than thou. Because they're not holy at all. They just think they are. And they think that you should bow down to them because they're so much better than you. That's not God. And that's not the presence of the Lord in our lives or in this church. It is a reference to the holiness of God. Jump to 1 Peter chapter 1 because Peter picks it up in the New Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober, sober in the Spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus spoke out of the bush. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Why? Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Moses is going through a complete cycle in minutes. This is the first time he's encountered God in all of his life. And this encounter is a real strong encounter. Okay? He is sensing something from God. He knows that God is holy. He can sense it. He can feel it. He's being told the whole deal. What I need us to understand this morning is it doesn't matter where we are. We may be in the desert. We may be in the city. We may be at the office. We may be in the shopping center. I don't care where we are. We represent a holy God. He lives within us. Therefore, because he's holy, we should be holy. That doesn't mean I look down at you. Because I don't think you're as holy as I am. We don't do that. That's not what God's talking about. Okay? Just get away from those kind of people. But it's the presence of God in our lives. Because the presence of God in our lives will touch other people who need to be touched. Who could never stand the experience of a burning bush. Hello. God gave you an experience. 
God brought you to him. You gave your life to Jesus. You said yes to the Lord through your own channel that God brought you through. Okay? So now, go back <coughs> to uh, Exodus. God's holy. We sense his holiness. In verse 6, we read this. God is talking to Moses. And here's what he says. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. There was a sense in Israel that if you ever saw God face to face, you would die. And all of a sudden, God is, uh, Moses is encountering God. You might remember that later on when Moses is already shepherding the people out of Egypt, that he wants to see the glory of God. Remember that? And God didn't let him see his face, but he, he turned aside and let him see the backside. You remember that scripture? Okay, the presence of God is so strong and so powerful that Moses knew he had to be careful with it. Well, I need to know that. You need to know that. It is the presence of God so strong in our lives that will keep us from messing around. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I, 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 did I hear anything at all? A one or two amens? It is his holiness. It isn't, the, it isn't a sword in his hands that I'm going to kill you. No, no, no. It is his holiness that he loves us so much, Gary, that keeps us from doing this when we shouldn't do it, going there when we shouldn't go there, thinking it's the holiness of God that surrounds us and holds us tight. Those of you who are parents, <clears throat> do you remember when your children <clears throat> were three, four years old, maybe five, <clears throat> and you got on your first little tricycle, and they're in the driveway, and they're saying, Daddy, look at me, look at me. And they're pedaling down the driveway, and they make the turn to the sidewalk, and they fall over, and they scrape their knees. And you suddenly hear a scream like you never heard before in your life. Because the skin came off of their knee. They're not hurt. They're not going to die. They didn't break anything. The skin came loose. And the minute the skin comes loose from your body, the air hits your flesh, and it's pain. And what did you do? As a mommy, as a daddy, you ran out, you grabbed a hold of them, you put them on, you hugged them, and all of a sudden, while you're hugging them, they're going, ah, ah, and all of a sudden, they're calming down. The holiness of God is like a parent who holds his child close to him when they think they're in very serious difficulty and they don't understand the pain that they just got from falling off the tricycle. Holy ground. God introduces himself. It produces fear <clears throat> in Moses because he doesn't want to die. Okay? But what you need to really see is in introducing himself to Moses, he is sharing, verse 7, 8, and 9, that he sees all the hurt that's going on. And you need to see this, verse 7, 8, and 9. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. Stop. Right there. We're not in Egypt. We're right here. In Overton. Glendale. Loganville. This valley. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are all around New Hope Church. I've seen what's going on in their life. I've seen... The, the, the cry because of their taskmasters. I'm aware of all the suffering of the people that you touch on a daily basis. We're talking big time with him, 
but it's just as big a time with you right here in this church because this church is reaching out to this community. I've seen the affliction, so I've come down to deliver them. God has seen all of the afflictions of the people around you. So I'm going to come down. I'm going to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. What is new hope? What are our, what's our job? Aren't we here to deliver? Aren't we here to hold in our arms those who scrape their knees, spiritually speaking? Aren't we here to tell them there's a God that loves them like they've never heard before? I've come down to deliver them out of the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up to that land, to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What's he saying? He's saying, I have something in store for my kids that even you, Moses, can't figure out. And I'm saying to us this morning at New Hope, God has stumped something in store for everybody that you run into. For those people that you touch on a daily basis, God has something in store for them, just like he had something in store for you, and that's why you're sitting here this morning, because somebody touched you with the glory and the presence of God. You didn't come here, oh, I made a mistake, I went to New Hope. No, that's not why you're here. I've come down. Deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. God wants to come down and deliver. Bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land. God wants to deliver the people of this community to a place that they can sense as a a land that's flowing with milk and honey. To a place of the Canaanite. He's he's naming all the the names of the people that he's going to get rid of to do that for them. Okay? Behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. God has seen every oppression that you've gone through. He's seen, how do I say this? And you know that I'm saying this because I love you. He's seeing every bit of garbage you've ever had to go through, whether it was your fault or not. He saw it all. Guess what? He's doing this. He's running down the driveway because you just tripped over your tricycle and your knee is scraped. He's doing, let me hold you, let me hold you, let me hold you. That's God. That needs to be new hope. I didn't hear anything. There's suffering, and God knows every bit of suffering that you have ever gone through, that I have ever gone through. God knows every bit of suffering that every person who lives in these communities has gone through or is now going through. And there has to be a place where they can go and find the presence of God. A place that will not say, oh, you're no good. you don't belong here. Oh, give me a break. Give me a break. He sees the hurting. He sees the suffering. So here's the deal. Verse 10. <clears throat> Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Deliver my people from bondage. I hope you catch that. Deliver my... They've been in bondage for 400 years. 400 years. They've grown from a a community of 70 people. When Jacob left Canaan to come down to Egypt, there were 70 of them. They're now over 2 million in 400 years. I need you, Moses, 
to deliver my people from bondage. And Moses says, okay, God, I'd love to. Bring me in some 747s with some pilots, and we'll just land in the desert. We'll just fill the 747s up. We'll take those babies off, and we'll fly right into Canaan. I don't think it works that way. That's the way we'd like it to work. See, we've got our own ideas how God is going to deliver No, no, he didn't say, okay. He didn't say, oh, I'm in favor of this. No, no, verse 11. He instantly tells him. Moses said, who am I? Who do you think I am? That I should go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh wants to kill me. That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of... What is it that you see in me? Hello. What is it that God sees in us that he thinks we're qualified, Gary, to reach over and touch someone that's hurting more than we've ever hurt in our life and say to them, put our arm around them and say, you know, God really loves you, sir. And it makes sense. And it triggers an emotion in them. And suddenly their heart is open to find out how real God is. Who do you think I am? That's what Moses is saying. Are we saying the same thing to God? God, who do you think new hope is? That we should be liberators of folks in this valley? That don't know you? No, no, no. I have a question. I have a lot of questions. Is God making a mistake asking the wrong guy? Be careful what you answer. Is God making a mistake to see the hurt of the people in this town? Is God making a mistake to think that he wants us to be deliverers? Is God making a mistake to ask new hope to open up their arms and say to people, can I tell you how much God loves you, no matter how much you're suffering? I love you, I love you, I love you. This is the struggle that Moses is going through with God. Because Moses does not want the job. He does not want the job. Okay. Well, Moses makes excuses, verses 13 through 15. He's saying, you know, I'm not the right guy, God. I'm, I'm just not the right guy. And you got the wrong guy and all that other stuff. So verse 13, Moses said to God, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Remember, he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, your, your daddies, okay? The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what's his name, this God of your fathers? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I don't like that name, do you? I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am hath sent me to you. I am is God's name forever. I am never changes. The quality and the love of God never changes. The compassion of God never changes. His understanding of what we're going through never changes. I am, he said, I am. The one sending you. And when you go down there and they say, and they say Moses, who sent you? You said, I am sent me. Well, that doesn't make sense. 
But I am is the name of God that will never, ever change. And the devil knows that and hates it. I am came into my life when I was 16. If God gives me till April, I'll be 89. 16, 76 years. I am does not change. He does not change. The devil can't make him change his name. And the devil cannot take him out of me. I am saved me. I am saved you. I am will keep walking with you. I am will bring the miracles in your life that only I am can bring in your life. God was not asking Moses to bring the miracles. God was asking Moses to go down there and lead them out, and God would do the miracles. We forget that sometimes. Those ten plagues that hit Egypt were not plagues that Moses ginned up. They were plagues that God ginned up. When, when he said, turn, the water, in the, wine, or, turn the, the water into blood, Moses didn't turn the water into blood. God did. When he said, let's, let's have some frogs jumping around, Moses, Moses didn't bring those frogs up. God did. When God said, I think we ought to shut the lights off, and they shut all the lights off for one week, and it was totally pitch black, you couldn't see your hand in your face, Moses didn't do that. I am did that. The miracles that you need in your life, I can't do them for you, but I know who can. His name is I am. He never, ever changes. And he loves you just like you are. May I suggest to you, that Israel wasn't as nice as you might want to think they were at that time? See, what do we say to God's command? Will we make an excuse? Moses made his excuse. He, he really pitched it. I can't do this. You need somebody else. It's, it's not my job. Finally, Moses says yes. Finally. But in chapter 6, verse 9, Moses runs into something that he never thought he would run into. Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. After 400 years of being treated like slaves, like worthless scum, they couldn't believe that Moses has been sent by God to take them out of this bondage and the garbage that they've been in for 400 years. And so they were fighting the idea of being delivered. Don't fight the idea of God delivering you, your family, your children, whatever it is. Don't fight the idea. Let God bring the deliverer. They were afraid. All of this stuff, they were, they were, they were opposing the messenger who says, God wants to deliver you. You've got to be crazy. And some of us in our lifetime have gone through such things that if someone had come to us and said, you know, Rudy, I know you're only 16, but you know, God really wants to change your life. You know, if I hadn't been listening carefully, I might have said you're out of your mind. And maybe some of you have thought that. God's not out of his mind. God sees you. He sees me. He sees this church. He sees the value of your life, my life, and the life of this church. They were afraid to be delivered because they didn't understand anything else for 400 years. All they understood was the, uh, the oppression that they lived in. But wait, if you go to Exodus chapter 14, verse 29 through 31, you find this. 
They've come through it now. He's taken them out. The sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. This is afterwards, after the tenth plague. They're going across the Red Sea on dry ground. The sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. You're going to go through some rough times helping people get delivered. They're going to re- reject you from time to time. They're going to start thinking, oh, this is not really for me. I don't like this church business. I, I understand that. Trust me, I understand that. I totally, totally understand it. I gave an altar call one night in the church when I pastored in California. Never forget it. There are some things you don't forget. You can't forget them. I had six people standing at the altar that Sunday night asking Jesus to come into their life. They'd raised their hand. They came forward. And I always prayed with people that did that. And I prayed with them the sinners, what we call the sinner's prayer. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I and, you know, and, 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 and I always asked the same thing. I looked up square in the eye, Gary, at all these six people. I said, did you really mean it? Because if you didn't mean it, that prayer was worthless. And they all look at you like, you know, it's true. And I went down, did you, do you mean it? And, yeah, do you mean it? Yeah, I got to the last guy. I, I still, he still goes to church. He said, I said to him, did you mean it? And he says, uh, I don't know. Well, no one's ever said that to me. So what does the pastor do now? The guy says, I don't know. So I said, okay, pray about it. He left, the others left. We dismissed the church, everybody went home. I don't know whether it was the next Sunday or the Sunday after, I, do, I really forget. He walked into church, came up to me, looked me in the eye, and says, I meant it. Amen. I didn't make him mean it. God didn't even make him mean it. This is a personal relationship. This is a personal thing between you and God. You have to come to grips with what you need, and you have to decide, can he deliver me out of Egypt? Your own Egypt, whatever that is. Is he big enough? Is I am big enough, strong enough, powerful enough, knows enough to get me out of the garbage that I've been in all these years and set me up on a solid rock called Christ Jesus? Well, I need to start quitting. You know, what it, when, you know what it means when the pastor says he's getting ready to quit? Absolutely nothing. What about victory for new hope? If you've been paying attention, this is the sixth week that my son and I have been with you. If you've been paying attention to the messages... On purpose, I've always included you in where we're going. Because if you don't want to go where God wants you to go, I don't need to be here. If you don't see yourself as a delivering church, as a Moses church, if you don't see the power of the I am 
flooding this church. If you don't sense the power of the presence of God in your life, flooding this church when you get together and hug each other and have refreshments and pray with each other and go, if you don't see that, if that's not important to you, you don't need me. But it's important to me because I love you and you know I love you. And I know you love me. We've gone through that before when I first came a couple, three years ago. Wonderful people here. Wonderful people. But I've included you in every one of my message. I have to. Because you have to see what I believe God sees is something of victory for this church. I am has sent us to this community. Not me, the church. I am is the one who delivers. And some of you have seen this. Some of you have gone through this. Some of you know people that God has, through your touch, through your love, God has just kind of snatched them away and snuck them right in the house. Victory for new hope, which means new hope needs to push forward, which means new hope, every one of us, needs to follow a holy God. Again, I repeat the phrase, not a holier-than-thou attitude. It doesn't work. But an attitude that God is holy. And because he's holy, I'm holy. Did you know that? I didn't gin up my own holiness I've been covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. All things have been passed away. The bad junk, the junk of my life, it's gone. And now everything is becoming new because of His holiness. I didn't suddenly come up with, an, with a, a formula for holiness. Rudy Greco's formula, blah, 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 blah. No, I'm sorry. doesn't work. The formula has already been set through Jesus Christ. And because He forgives us, we walk into the presence of God, which is a holy, holy presence. So... With this, I need to close. Check out your burning bush. Jesus is talking to you. You need to respond to the voice coming out of the burning bush, which is Jesus. Like Moses responded, here I am. New Hope needs to say, here I am, Lord, as a church and as individuals. Here I am. We need to take off our shoes because it's a point of obedience. It's a point of submission. It's a point of showing honor to God Almighty. We need to recognize that we, New Hope, are not only on holy ground. New Hope needs to be holy ground for the glory of God. Not for my glory, not for your glory. People need to drive by this building, and they will. They will. And suddenly be forced to drive into the parking lot. Because they see char- char- par- cars parked there and say, I better go see what's going on. That's what Moses did when he saw the bush burning. And people will walk in that door and come down to this altar. Not because of me. Let's get that straight. But because of the holy presence of God. Do we want to be holy ground? Do we want to listen to the voice coming out of the burning bush? Do we want to take the job that God is offering? Yes, New Hope, yes. Yes. The results? Souls, one for God. The results, in Moses' case, two two and a half million people coming out of Egypt into Canaan land. I'd say that was good results. Who, and I'm I'm through with with this, who in your circle of influence needs God? 
You've got your own circle of influence. You've got your own people that you deal with. I said this before a year and a half or so ago. Every one of us has a congregation, personal congregation of about 10 people that we know personally that I don't know who they are, but, but you know who they are, and you deal with them. 10 people that you touch on a regular basis of some sort. Okay? Do they need God? Do they need your influence? Do, do they need to know that I am lives in you? Do they need to know that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is alive in your life? Does your life show victory for other people? Or are you going, oh, dear God, help me. If every time you go into somebody's house and you're the one that's supposed to be saved, you're the one that's going, oh, dear God, you don't know what happened to me. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. I am needs to be alive in you. Do you show that victory? Do you notice the divine setup? Moses was set up. And Moses finally said yes. I've said this before. I'll keep saying it as long as you let me come here. God has plans for this church that go beyond my lifetime. He has plans for this church. If I did not believe that, I would not be here. Work with me. Work with God. Work with his, lo- his love. Work with his holiness. Work with his forgiveness. Look other people in the eye, no matter how bad they've been in their life, look them in the eye and say, God loves you, period. Without putting them down, God hasn't given us the authority to put people down. He's given us the authority to pick them up and hold them in our arms so that the Holy Spirit can do that. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, oh, I thank you, Lord. You're so good. Your word is so real. And we need help. We can't do it by ourselves. Yes, we want to be holy children of God. Yes, absolutely. But Holy Spirit, we need you to help us with that because we're still human. We're still flesh. We still think like fleshly people, human people. And so you need to step in, Holy Spirit, and cause things to change in a natural way that we see through a different eye eye set. We see the power and the glory of God. And we hunger and thirst after that glorious righteousness that we see. Because as we see that, we'll share that with other people. They will see God in us and they will want that same thing. So I'm asking you this morning, Lord, touch these wonderful people here. Touch them with your anointing with your love, with your compassion, with your concern, so that others may see Jesus. While your heads are bowed, every eye is closed. I don't know all of you. I don't know where you stand with God. But if you're here, sir, if you're here, madam, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never submitted to God and you'd like to do that today, I would love to pray with you. I will not embarrass you. I don't do that. I just want to pray with you. If you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, while all the heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I will do that after the service. I'll be glad to do that. Anyone at all. Maybe all of us know the Lord, how wonderful that is. That's wonderful. No hands. Okay. Thank God. If you need prayer for anything after we close the service, I will stay here for a few moments. Please come up and let me pray with you. Father, thank you again for another Sunday with wonderful people. 
Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we feel, the joy of the Lord that we know is here, and thank you for the great fellowship that we have. And so as we go to the other room and enjoy each other's company and some pastries and some goodies, we ask your blessing upon the food and we ask your blessing upon the folks that take the time and do the work to bless us with these refreshments. Bless this church. Make it the Moses Church, the delivering church of this valley so that people can come and find you and accept you as Christ in their life so that they will know for sure when they pass that they will see you face to face and they'll be happy as can be. Bless these good people. Keep your hand upon us, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, God bless you. I'll stay up here. If I need to pray with you for anything, please come. It'll be just you and me. Uh, We won't be sharing anything publicly, just you and me praying. Love to pray with you. God bless you. You're dismissed. If you need to go, we've got some goodies. Please stay with us.